0: Thank you guys, appreciate that. So how did your reading go this week? Anybody take the challenge, spend time reading through the letter to the Galatian churches? Two of you, three of you did, four of you, five, okay, all right. I mean, there's no reward, I don't have anything for you, Um, but you should hopefully have felt a, a little bit of a reward in the sense of what you read. I talked to Ron uh, this, mo- uh, this week, and he was saying that he and Ashley, and Ash- uh, Angie and Ashley, are kind of doing it as a family thing, um, spending time talking about it. Uh, I was talking to Ken and Diane this morning, um, and they were just telling me the things, cool things they're learning about um, Paul's writing, what he was talking about there, about salvation, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I hope you're doing that. Again, we have a little bit of a study help for you. Uh, one of our values is that Um, you are personally involved in reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, studying the Bible. and So anytime I can help you guys with that and provide something to help you with that, uh, I try to to do that. Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. If you're using the Bible there in a pew rack, it's page 1164. And we're going to be looking through this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian churches. It's a series called Off the Chain. And our goal here is to look through And understand what it means to be uh, released from the chains of religion. How do we move away from and understand that the the rites and rituals of religion is not what saves a person. It's not what makes a person right with God. And um, and so Paul's addressing that issue. and, And really isn't, that's kind of the big question in life. You know, how am I right with God? I think a lot of the reason why we have what we have going on in this world is that there are people who... Understand that they feel in the core of who they are that that something's not right. They're missing something. They're looking for something. God tells us that in His in His Word that He's put placed eternity in our hearts. There is a sense that we need to be right with our Creator, with God, and our world is struggling with that question and answering that question correctly. So Paul answers that question in this in this letter. Because there's people going around following after Paul. Peter had the same experiences too, but Paul had these people following around him as he'd go to a church or go to an area. People would come to Christ, he would start a church. Then he would have these Jewish people, some who were followers of Christ, some who weren't, and they would come in and they were trying to add to his message of salvation by faith in Christ and Christ alone, these different rituals. And it was the Jewish uh, religion called Judaism that they're trying to impart and put into there. Today, it's other religions, some that are called Christians, some that are called other things, but it's still the same thing. People trying to re-chain people, put people back into religious rituals in order to ensure their salvation. And as I was thinking about this, uh, a phrase came to my mind, that this is high stakes. For some reason, a thought came to my mind, and I don't mean like stakes that are up in the air, like meat stakes, but this is, this is high stakes stuff that Paul is dealing with here, because we're dealing with people's destinies. We're dealing with people's eternal destiny, their future, and if we don't get it right, then we don't get it right. We don't get right with God, and so Paul's coming in, and we'll see, he's taught by Jesus Christ, just like the other apostles, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But he comes in with a message that God had given him and revealed to him that Jesus Christ did everything that needed to be done for us to be right with God. And then these other people are coming in with a different message. He calls it a distorted message to disturbing people. Because there's these people, for, and he gives us some reasons in the letter to why they're doing this, but they're keeping people from understanding the truth. And so, again, high stakes. This isn't just people having a little debate about what's theological, what doctrinal issues. It's not that. It's eternal life issues. So to win the people back, these false teachers were claiming that Paul was teaching incorrectly and that he didn't have the authority that the apostles, the original 12 apostles had and And we see it today, we see it everywhere if you want to mess up somebody 's message, you go after the message, but then you also go after their character and These false teachers are doing that with Paul so what we want to do this morning we 're just going to follow in paul 's letter, so Paul starts out his letter defending his ministry, and he 's going to give us two major reasons why he was an apostle sent by Jesus Christ to uh, Bring this message of salvation. The first one, first reason is that he's like the other 12s in that he was personally taught by Jesus Christ himself. That's the requirement to be a biblical apostle, that you had to be personally taught, personally interact with Jesus Christ physically. And Paul had that happen to him. And we'll talk about it too, that he actually kind of does one better. Uh, He says it was God's plan. God revealed Jesus Christ to me. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later and the reasons why I think he did that. And then his second proof of his apostleship is that the other apostles in Jerusalem recognized him as an apostle. So follow along with me. I'm going to read, um, starting out chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. And uh, again, his defense of his ministry starts out this way. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of of life in Judaism. And again, that's that Jewish religion that man kind of developed after what God gave them originally in the Old Testament. Man started getting his hands on it. Man started manipulating it, distorting it, and bringing it about to something that he wanted. They call it Judaism. He says, "'How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure "'and try to destroy it. "'And I was advancing in Judaism "'beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, "'being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. "'But when God, who had set me apart, "'even from my mother's womb, "'and called me through his grace, "'was pleased to reveal his Son in me "'so that I might preach him among the Gentiles,' I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. So he was in Damascus, on his way to Damascus, meets Jesus Christ. So Paul tells us, first of all here, that the gospel message, first of all, wasn't from men. He says it's not according to men. In other words, this didn't have its source in man. So, the message he's receiving, or has received, the message that he's preaching, wasn't according to man. Man didn't come up with this. Man didn't plan this. And it's pretty obvious because man, and I've talked about this before, man couldn't come up with, has never come up with the idea that the God of the universe put on flesh, lived on the earth, died on a cross, and then rose again. Man has never come up with that idea. Because if you look at all the religions of mankind, they're over here saying, I want to get to know God. I want to have a relationship with God. And so, let's see. I need to do this, and then I need to do this, and I need to do this. Whatever the religion is, it doesn't matter what the religion is. It's all about man doing what he should do or can do to get to God. And Scripture is going to show us that you can't do it that way. So this didn't come from man. It wasn't according to man. He didn't receive it from man. Somebody didn't come along and teach him this message. So how did he receive it? Well, Paul tells us in these verses that he received it from God, actually. Verses 15 and 16, if you look at that, it says uh, that Paul said that he received it. He was set apart by God. He was called by God. And then he, was, he had the message of his, his son, God's son, revealed to to him. So everything about him, he was chosen, he was called, the message was revealed, his ministry was given to him by God. Now we know from Acts 9 that Jesus Christ confronted Paul on his way to Damascus. Paul was going to go to Damascus, he was going to go arrest some more Christians, he was going to jail them, possibly kill some of them, and so he had his little hit list and he was going to go after these people. Jesus Christ confronts him, stops him, um, tells them basically who he is. Paul gives his life to Christ, realizing he's going down a wrong road, literally. So we get that, but Paul keeps referring back to, in these verses, that it was something that God started, that God directed. And, And here's why I think he's done that. The false teachers are coming into the church, and they're saying, hey, listen, yeah, okay, you can believe in this Jesus guy, but you also need to follow the law. You remember the law, the law that God gave to Moses. Now, of course, they've tweaked it and changed it, but they're going to go back and they're going to say, God gave the law. And so Paul's saying that what he received was really what God had given him. It was God who revealed Christ to him. So he's kind of you know getting at their argument a little bit. If you look at the end of verse 12, he uses the phrase, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, some translations and yours may read that from Jesus Christ, uh, but I think because of this whole little tweak that he's doing here where he's focusing in on God, I think it's really a revelation of Jesus Christ. And, um, and here's another reason why I think it's a, a good way to translate it. Because when, when God was revealing something to Paul, he was revealing a person to Paul. God wasn't revealing, and when we share the gospel, we're not sharing a philosophy. We're not sharing a religion. We're not sharing something. We're sharing a person. And so when God revealed Jesus Christ, the gospel, to Paul, he revealed Jesus Christ. He revealed who Jesus Christ was because it's not about religion, it's not about a belief system or philosophy. It's about a relationship, a relationship we have with God. This word revelation is kind of a cool thing. Uh, It means uh, secret. Paul sometimes uses the word mystery. And it has this idea that back in the Old Testament, there are some things going on, some teaching that was happening that they didn't have the full understanding of. But when Jesus Christ showed up, then all that made sense. In fact, uh, 1 Peter 1, Peter talks about this. And he says, as to this salvation, salvation by faith in Christ, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Now he's talking about the Old Testament. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ, to them the future, and the glories that follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And Paul talks about in Ephesians 2 some aspects of this mystery, which is this idea of having a new race of people made up of all races of the world, but it's a new race within, um, you know, this relationship with Christ, God's possession, God's people. And so back in the Old Testament, they were writing about something that was going to happen in the future, and they knew something was going to happen in the future. They didn't quite understand it, and they were asking God to give them understanding, but God didn't give them the understanding back then. But they got, we got the understanding when Jesus Christ come, came, when He fulfilled everything. Look back in verses 13 and 14. This is something only God could do. When you read 13 and 14, you see that Paul was was a motivated, passionate zealot. I mean, this guy was all about this religion of Judaism. He was so all about it. He was so filled with it. It was such a part of his life that he was willing to kill people for it. I mean, that's crazy that you'd be willing to kill for your religion, especially, you know, Jesus Christ said we're supposed to love everybody. We're, We're supposed to share him with everybody we're not to be killing people but here paul on behalf of judaism was going out and killing people he was persecuting the church beyond measure he was trying to destroy it it's a military term the idea of a of an army coming into a town and just destroying it he was looking to destroy the church he was moving up the religious leadership ladder he said he was more extremely zealous for any ancestral his ancestral traditions Again, he's talking about this law that these guys had turned into basically just some, just some thoughts of the, their own thoughts. You know, was, one of the things they used to do was they would, um, some guy would say, well, this is what I think the, the Old Testament's teaching. And rather than going back to the Old Testament to find out, these guys would say, well, I think, well, we think what you're saying might be right here, but not right here. And then some other person would say, well, yeah, but I think what he's saying... He's wrong here, but you guys are right, and pretty soon it's just a bunch of these guys, as I call a pooling of ignorance, a bunch of people talking about what they think the Bible talks about. Anybody ever been in a Bible study like that before, by the way? They're sitting around, well, I think the Bible says, well, I think the Bible, listen, the Bible only says what the Bible says. We can't think that it says something, and somebody else thinks it says something else that's contrary. It only says one thing. God's giving us a message So Paul was into this religion. He thought being right with God was doing all these things. And his point is, I think, is that he's saying, only God could get me out of this. Only God could shake my world enough to let me understand that this is not the way to him, that Jesus Christ had something. So when Jesus Christ showed up, it made an impact in his life. He goes on to say, verse 16, through the end there of 24. We're not going to read all the way through 24. But he goes on to say that uh, he didn't consult with any person. So after he received the message that God had given him through Jesus Christ, he he, uh, didn't go and check with everybody. Hey, did you hear, you know, this is what I got. What do you think? He didn't go down to Jerusalem to the other apostles and say, hey, is this what I'm supposed to be teaching? Um, Obviously, he didn't really feel like he needed to do that because if they're hearing from God and he's hearing from God, they're going to be teaching the same thing. He headed out to Arabia and then eventually back to Damascus. Um, as you read through this and study through this, scholars believe that he went down to Arabia, which is the desert area. So if you have Jerusalem, see, i got to do it reverse. So if you have Jerusalem here, you have Damascus here, uh, north and east of Jerusalem. I think they say about 40 miles, something like that. Um, so right in here, there's a little desert area that they're calling Arabia. And he spent time there and back in Damascus. And scholars believe that there was a real good chance that that's where kind of Paul and Jesus hung out and where Jesus taught Paul, because it's interesting. He says it happened for three years. Um, But then after that, Paul went back to Damascus. Now, it does say that he did go down to Jerusalem. He does admit that, yeah, I went down to Jerusalem. But he only went down there for 15 days. Not enough time to get Um, You know, fully trained by the apostles. He only met Peter, and he only met James. Now, Peter was probably the most popular apostle. James was Jesus' brother, so yeah, it makes sense that he'd want to meet them. And the word that he uses, he says that I might become acquainted with them, literally means to get to know them, to to meet them, to finally get a, a chance to meet these guys. Acts 9 tells us the trip happened because the Jews in Damascus finally got tired of Paul, and they were going to kill him. So it makes a, it almost feels like Paul would have stayed in Damascus. He didn't have to go to Jerusalem, but for the sake of his life, he decided to head down, down that way. But then after that, he headed north to Syria and then to Cilicia to his hometown in Tarsus. Um, again, he didn't even, as it says here, he didn't talk to anybody in the churches in that area. People heard about me, but I didn't actually go talk to them. So his point is, what I received, I received from God as he revealed Jesus Christ to me. And we know from his other test, part of his testimony, Jesus Christ himself taught him. So this message is from Christ. Well, then Paul goes on and he's going to use his second defense for why it was that he was considered an apostle. He had authority that when the false teachers came in and said, Paul's wrong, Paul's like, No, I'm not. I'm an apostle. You're not. Is the fact that he went down to Jerusalem. Now, it took another 14 years. So anywhere between 14, 17 years, Paul is out teaching this gospel telling people about Jesus Christ, not thinking he needs to deal with the apostles, not thinking he needs their approval for anything, he's just out there teaching for almost, well, for 14, possibly 17 years, depending on how you want to add up those numbers. And Paul, or the apostles, basically confirmed Paul's apostleship in three ways. First of all, they confirmed his message. Secondly, they confirmed his mission. And then in the case of Peter... Peter received his rebuke, and we'll talk a little bit about that and how that shows that he's an apostle. Well, follow along as I read chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 here to get started. Paul says, And after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in in private. So those who, uh, so those, yeah, could have used one of those donuts right about now. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek or Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, really what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, well, those who were of reputation reputation contributed nothing to me. Now, there's a lot that we can get into, but I'm going to try to stay you know, kind of clipping along the tops here and keep us moving along. But after 14 years, Paul ends up going to Jerusalem to present to them, to give to them, and show them what, his, um, what the gospel was that he was teaching. Acts 15 tells us uh, that it happened because in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas had taken off on their first missionary journey, so they're over out west, and they're going around, and they're starting up churches, including some of the churches in the Galatian area. And when they come back, they find there's false teachers there, saying that Paul's teaching incorrectly, that Paul's not an apostle. So they get into it. So Paul's having an argument with them, which is, you know, sometimes love isn't, you know, we need to confront things. So Paul's in there, and he's going to confront them and say, hey, you're teaching wrong. The church here says, okay, why don't you guys just go down to Jerusalem and check with the apostles? Okay, let them kind of look at this, let them kind of decide what's going on. Paul says in, this, in these verses that he did it because of a revelation. So it's almost like Paul's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to go. But then God's like, nah, just go. Okay, take care of it. So he heads down there. He brings with him Barnabas and Titus. This is interesting. So Barnabas is a Jewish follower of Christ, um, and he's known by the apostles in Jerusalem. And so he brings him with as kind of a witness to what it is that Paul's teaching. All right. Then he brings Titus. Titus is a Greek guy, a young guy, and which means he's a Gentile, which means the false teachers would have been saying, And the apostles would have also said this if they agreed with the false teachers. Titus, before we can even talk to you, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law of Moses and be circumcised before we can even talk with you. But he wasn't circumcised. And Titus was led into the area with the apostles. And so, again, Paul talks about that. They didn't tell us to have Titus circumcised. So obviously, false teachers, you're not teaching correctly. Look what the apostles did. He submitted the gospel to him. Again, not this idea of, hey, correct me. No, he's just saying, this is what I'm teaching. What do you guys, you know, what do you guys think? This is what I'm teaching. Again, he's convinced that he's got it from God and they're convinced. So they're going to be teaching the same thing. He said he talks to those of reputation. Uh, This word is used four times in eight verses, and it's speaking of the apostles. And so, again, he's kind of, he's... Remember, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. This letter then gets circulated through all the churches of that time. So the Christians in these churches are hearing this. The false teachers who are in those churches trying to disrupt things, they're hearing Paul say this. And they're real big, because we'll see in later on, chapter 2, where they say these Jews were from James, they're real big about saying, yeah, the apostles, yeah, we are in with the apostles. We're from Jerusalem, we know the apostles. Paul, you haven't even met the apostles, the apostles yet? We know them, we're in with them. We're their boys. Okay. little. Sorry, that was a little present-day conversationer I'm sure they didn't do that. Um, sorry. So... I lost track. So anyways, they, so Paul goes to these guys that the false teachers were saying they were in with. Paul goes to them. He meets with them in private. That alone shows that he has their respect. That alone shows that he's on the same level as the apostles. So he shares what's going on. Then they all come back out to the crowd, to the group of people that were there at this council and they all agree that what Paul is doing, what Paul is teaching, is the gospel, is what Jesus Christ had given them, given to them. That's what he meant when he said they contributed nothing to him. What he means there is that it didn't, he's not saying they didn't help him at all. In fact, they helped him a great deal. They contributed nothing. They didn't add anything to his message. They didn't say, no, Paul, you're right, um, salvation by faith in Christ, but add this. They didn't do that to him. They said it's Christ and Christ alone. They didn't add or take away from his message. So they confirmed his message. Next they confirmed his ministry. Look at verses 7 through 10. It says, But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, or to the Gentile, to the non-Jew, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, or to the Jewish people, for he who effectually uh, worked for Peter... And his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, you know, that's the big three, the dream team, you know, we want to call them, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so he might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing we were also eager to do. And so we see here that they approve of his mission. They say, "Yeah, his mission is right. He needs to go to the Gentiles. It's what God has called him to do." We're in agreement to that. They give him the five of fellowship, and they head him out head out with their commission to do that. And then Paul ends this chapter with kind of a confusing thing. He brings up an issue that he had with Peter about all of this. Now. This is kind of interesting because you don't want to have division in the church, right? You certainly don't want to have division uh, over doctrinal issues. And yet Paul brings up to everybody, and Peter is going to see this in writing too as it circulates through the churches, this issue that he had with Peter. And I think to me, part of the reason for this is that it's kind of a negative example of the fact that Peter was screwing up and Paul called him on it, and Peter respected what Paul had to say. He took it as he would take it from another apostle, therefore proving that Paul was an apostle. We're not going to read the whole thing. You can go ahead and read it. But let me just give you some background on it and, and summarize what's going on. At some time after uh, the time that Paul was in Jerusalem, Peter, as Peter would have done, went up to Antioch. And he decided to go hang out with them, uh, to spend time with them, and so when they got together for meals, like Christians are good at doing, you know, churches love to have meals and all that kind of stuff, so they would get together, and the Jew Christians would be there, and the Gentile Christians would be there, and they'd be all having a great time, and they would be breaking bread together, you know, having communion together, and uh, it was just a great time of worship, and Paul, and Peter, and everybody was demonstrating what the gospel was all about, everybody from all over the world, who, could, who came to Christ, can worship together, be free in each other's um, company. We don't have to stay away from people. The Mosaic Law told the Jews to keep distance from the Gentiles. Um, the Judaism pretty much separated them completely. But then it says that some Jews from James, some Jewish guys from James, see how they've connected themselves back to James, showed up. Peter began to withdraw. Interesting word. It means to slowly move away over a period of time. So let me just kind of paint the picture, that I think, what was going on here. Um, so Peter's over here and they're all hanging out, and you know, Jews, Gentiles, Christians are all talking, they're having a great time, enjoying each other's company. Then these Jews from James, again, James wouldn't approve of this, but they're going to use James for their you know, power and authority. They come and they're talking. And they're talking with Peter, and Peter's now starting to feel a little uncomfortable because these guys are the ones who are saying, yeah, faith in Christ, but add to it certain things. And until certain things happen, we can't have fellowship with you. And so Peter's like talking with them, and then he's coming over here talking with them, and, and then he comes back here, and they're like, hey, Peter, we're going to go over to Joe Schmoe's house, and we're going to have dinner. And Paul's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, let me get back to you because I don't think I can. I don't think I can make it. I got some other things scheduled. Got some teaching I got to do, that kind of thing. So then they go off and do the thing. Peter goes over here and hangs out with the Jewish guys. And Paul sees that and he starts realizing this is happening over a period of time. So Paul's starting to realize, hey, wait, 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 you don't have something else to do. You don't want to hang out with the Gentiles. And not only that, but Peter, because of his authority. The other Jews were doing the same thing. And they were kind of hanging out over here with the Jewish people. And the Gentiles and Paul were over by the, over here spending time together. So Paul calls them on that. He calls them out in front of everyone. Because everybody needed to hear this. Everybody needed to understand this is not the gospel. This is not what the apostles have been teaching. Because they just got done telling Paul, yeah, you're good to go. This is what we've been teaching. And this is not what a follower of Christ does. They don't return back to the law. They're not hypocrites in that way. So he pulls Peter aside. He tells him where he's wrong. He tells him that that's the law. We're not under the law. The law says to separate yourself from Gentiles. Jesus doesn't. Jesus says to Be unified with those who have come to Christ, no matter what their background is. Now, we don't really have any record from Paul here in this letter saying what happened with Peter, but we know from church history, we know from the rest of the Bible, Peter got the message, because read Peter's letters. It's all about salvation through faith in Christ and Christ alone. It's all about being unified, all people, no matter what their race is, be unified under Jesus Christ. And in the salvation of Christ, Peter got the message. And and Paul is saying, Peter got the message. False teachers, you need to get the message. I have the authority as an apostle. Well, unfortunately, Paul's letter didn't uh, keep false teachers from going into the churches of that day. Unfortunately, it hasn't kept false teachers coming into the church of today. And so what are some things that we can draw from it? What are some things we can pull from Paul's defense of his apostleship and his authority that we can apply to ourselves today? Just three things. First of all, we need to know what the Bible actually teaches. One of the reasons why these guys in Judaism got screwed up is because they failed to go back to the Old Testament and truly study out the Old Testament. And when when somebody brought some wrong teaching... Rather than keep talking about what that guy was teaching and and saying and trying to, you know, make it work, they needed to go back to the Old Testament and find out what was going on. And because they didn't do that, they missed who Jesus Christ was. And because they missed who Jesus Christ was, they missed what salvation was. They missed that relationship with God. When when people come to me and they say, Harold, we're going to do a Bible study. You You know a good book that we can study. We laugh, but the number of times that happens. If you're going to have a Bible study, study the Bible. There might be some helpful tools out there that you can use to study the Bible. When we get together on Thursday nights, when we do a Bible study, we're going to study the Bible. And and I'm going to encourage you guys to read it. I'm going to encourage you guys to to break it apart, to have tools at your house to work through. I want you to study this God's Word. Study the Bible. Otherwise, call it a book club. Call it a discussion, but whatever the case, we need to know what the Bible says. We need to personally get into it. When I'm talking to people about, about Christ, and they have questions, the first thing I tell them, if you have a Bible, grab it. If not, I'm going to get you one. Start reading it. Let God teach them what He has to teach them. We don't need to be afraid of that. We need to get back and actually know what the Bible teaches, personally, reading it and studying it. Secondly, we need to protect the purity of the gospel. And I see this all the time, you guys. I really do. It's, it's really, and it's, um, it's, it has to be, I'm, it's a little frustrating for me. When I'm talking to somebody, and even as somebody who calls himself a Christian, and we start talking about salvation. In fact, some of you guys, um, you know, those who I met for membership, I talked to you about the importance of salvation and the fact that we asked we ask the question four times in this membership thing. Because that's what we care about. We want to make sure people know who Christ is and they've given their life to Christ. And if I'm talking to somebody and I'm getting a feeling like they might be adding something to it, I'm on it. I, I'm on it. Couldn't snap real well. Um, we we got to make sure that we protect the purity of the gospel. It's not Jesus Christ, and then you got to make sure you read your Bible. It's not Jesus Christ that, you know, if you get baptized. It's not Jesus Christ and, and not Jesus, it's not Jesus Christ and. There was a time when Kim had a, she was at the high school back in Hagerstown, Maryland, and a truck wouldn't start. And so, I don't know, I was off doing something. So, some kid that she knew from the high school came by, and he says, here, I'll jump your truck. And, great, excellent. So, the kid hooks the cables up, Kim tries it, and it doesn't start. He goes, wait, let me try another thing. In jumping a vehicle, hooking up the cables of batteries, there's only one way to do it. All right. If someone's jumping your vehicle and you try to start, it doesn't start, and they go, let me try another thing, there is no another thing because you're going to destroy your battery, which happened. So I had to run over to the auto parts store, get a battery, put it in, hook it up, and the car ran. And that's just a vehicle. With salvation, there's only one way. And we should be glad that there's only one way. We we should be thanking God that the only thing that could ever be done for us to have a right relationship with God was done. Who wants to go through life trying to figure out, how do I get there? Who wants to go through life trying to figure out, did I do enough good today? Or if I did enough good today and I screw up tomorrow, is that one screw up going to blow up everything I did this day? Who wants to live that way? It can't be done that way. And nobody wants to live that way. Jesus Christ is the way. He was God, is God. He came in flesh. He lived a perfect life. One requirement to know God, you have to be perfect. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. We have to have our sin removed. He died. He took our eternal punishment. He rose again, defeating sin and death, and he offers that to us as a gift. There's only one way, and thank God there's only one way. And we need to be able to present that gospel to people, correct even those who claim to be Christians with the gospel, protect the purity of the gospel, help that person know what the gospel really means. And lastly, as I said at the beginning, this is high, high stakes. This is e- someone's eternal destiny in the balance. We need to be sharing that with people who don't know Christ. I'm telling you, I don't know if I should do this or not, but I read the headlines multiple times in a day. I think I'm becoming obsessed. I, I, I need to stop. What a screwed up world we live in. I thought it was bad when I was a kid. What a screwed up world we live in. This world needs Jesus Christ. People in your sphere of influence, people you work with. I was talking to Pat today and telling him about one of his co-workers. It's just a struggle that she's having in life because of choices that she's making. She needs Christ. People in our life need Christ. My neighbors need Christ. We need to make sure that we're sharing the gospel with them. Whenever we have the opportunity and when not, we need to be praying for them to know it. Let's stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for for Paul and his commitment. Um, You talk about a guy who was totally committed to anything he was doing, and yet he wasn't, um, or he was willing to say, hey, I'm wrong. I, I was believing the wrong thing. I was doing the wrong thing. And when he was confronted by Jesus Christ and when he was confronted by the truth of Jesus Christ, he understood that he was wrong and that he needed the salvation that you provided through Jesus. And that's an incredible gift. It's just beyond comprehension, but you did it because you love us, because you want a relationship with us. You want us in heaven with you one day. You don't send people to hell, but you're not going to force yourself on people because you truly love us. You want us to choose you, but you'll take people to heaven if they would just turn to you and ask for the forgiveness of their sins and trust in Christ's sacrifice on the cross and that alone for their salvation. Lord, help us to truly understand that. Help us to receive it if we haven't. Help us to protect that message. And Lord, we just pray that you would honor us with allowing people to see people come to Christ, those that we can impact. Praise things in Christ's name, amen. Well, thanks for being here. Have a happy Father's Day. Go home and do nothing, dads.